Voices that inspire the extended interview. My name is Candice McKippen, and I am a minister in the community. I serve as the pastor of Tallahassee Fellowship, a church that has been meeting in my home now for 20 years. And I'm retired from Big Ben Hospice and from church ministry. So how did you find your path in ministry? Where, where did that come from? I grew up in the church in Jacksonville, Florida, Riverside Baptist Church, which was an unusual Baptist church in the sense that there was a lot of emphasis on community involvement, a lot of emphasis on questioning and and exploring and curiosity of your faith. And so it was important to me. I always appreciated the church and what I learned from it, but went to school at Furman University to become a physician. I hoped to become a pediatrician. Um, but in my first year at Furman University, um, my father was very ill. He had been diagnosed with stage four lymphoma after I left home my freshman year, and I was very concerned about him and spent a good deal of time in the chaplain's office relying on his wisdom and encouragement. And um, it ended up that my father lived until nearly 90 years old, (laughs) and he overcame many challenges. He is one of the people in my life who is very inspirational for his courage and for his kindness. Um, But because of my time spent with the chaplain, he encouraged me to consider working in the church for a summer. I'd been working in a pediatrician's office, but he said, why don't you try working in the church, and I fell in love with it and felt like it was a better fit and felt the call of God on my life. That, that's an amazing story, an amazing mm-hmm. recovery for your father. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and for you to be so young at the time, that must have felt so frightening, the thought of losing your father. It, it was very frightening. It was, and I did a lot of reading and a lot of praying and feel that um, we were blessed by him surviving that very scary time. Yeah, definitely. So so then once you graduated and you decided, okay, I, I have this calling, what did you do next? How did you pursue your your calling? Well, I talked with people that I knew were in seminary that were from my church who had experience in that and um, learned all I could about the available seminaries within the Southern Baptist Convention and went to Southern Seminary in Louisville, which is um, known for being the most academic, I would say. Um, I'm sure others might say differently, but at the time, that was my impression. And um, so went to Louisville not knowing anyone really there except a sweet mate's brother who was in medical school at the University of Louisville. So I I knew one person who lived up there, um, but um, found it to be exciting and wonderful. And it was in the time prior to the... um, the conservatism that grew stronger and stronger within Southern Baptists so that women were not precluded from considering becoming pastors. So I was excited to be there and to be kind of a pioneer for women in ministry. So why why has it reverted? Why do you think that's happened? Why do you, why is it harder now for women to be in ministry? Well, I guess in the 
certain ministries, not all, but certainly the Southern Baptist ministry. I think that there was a feeling that we were moving too far to the left, that we were coming too liberal in the Baptist church, not a feeling that I shared because I had sort of an unusual history from Riverside Baptist in Jacksonville where there was allowance for doubt and for questioning. Um, So I feel that there were some political ramifications of it, um, much bigger, I think, than I understood as a young woman in seminary but it was very hurtful um, to do so well and to be encouraged by professors to pursue ministry and then to hear that there would not be a place for you. Yeah, that, that's, that's a tough one, especially when you feel so passionate about it mm-hmm. and feel that it's so right for, you, for yourself. Right. And then to be told, no, we've rethought this. Yes. <laughs> so how did you then maintain your passion for ministry in a world that you couldn't quite do it how you might have thought you were going to do it? Um, I'm a determined person. Um, Some might call me stubborn. (laughs) And I felt like there would be a way that if I um, continued to do the best I could to to be um, a person that that followed the the way that I see Jesus presenting life um, and encouraging us to be concerned and caring for other people and to um, be outreach, you know, to be outreach driven, to care about inclusivity and including other people, that if I followed those principles that seemed to me to be so important that it was going to work out. Um, I just kept doing what I felt I needed to do. And there were times when I had to truly stand up for myself um, as a woman by suggesting that, for example, when I was ordained, that became an even greater problem for me. It was one reason I wondered if I should even follow the process of ordination, but I felt like it was important and then when it was being used against me in a job situation, I said, well, I feel like if I were a man and ordained, then I would be seen as a more likely candidate. So it feels discriminatory to me that you're not considering it that way now. So I think I just had to find ways to advocate for myself. And then mostly, I think, just doing loving people and caring about people and doing the best I could to support and encourage their spiritual growth was what, in the end, I think, um, allowed me to to find a place of ministry. When I moved to Tallahassee in 1990, um, I was able to work within the Methodist Church, though I was Baptist, and Methodist had a broader um, vision about who could be ministers, and so I didn't face the discrimination that I faced in the Baptist Church, and then was able to go to East Hill that had a broader vision, East Hill Baptist, and they accepted me in my role. You know, it's funny as I'm—you think that you're working in something— that is faith-related, that is based on these principles of forgiveness and kindness and 
loving your neighbor. But yet, even within religion, mm. there are challenges and that are human-made, human-driven challenges. Yes. How do we balance that? You know, this this is a these are these are it's not unique. You know, these are the issues you were facing at the time were issues women were facing in other career fields. It's just that you think ones of faith should be a little more open. You would think that. And, you know, the truth is all these institutions are human institutions and people have prejudices and biases and um, maybe very legitimate concerns based on their particular background and what they've experienced and fears. Um, and so they do come to into play even within the church. But I remember how disappointed as a young woman I was that that was the truth. Um, and maybe I was a bit naive, I think, that I could just march forward. And if I had the right spirit, it was, you know, it was going to work out. But it, it was a lot of heartache um, through the years. Well, thank you for your persistence and, and, and for your guidance that you do now. I mean, you have been following your faith now for, for many years. How do you sustain your faith? especially at times when it feels so hard in the world. How do you sustain your faith? Maybe that's a clue for the rest of us. <laughs> well, I certainly um, pray a lot and feel that um, while I don't understand prayer, I couldn't explain to you how it works. I feel that it opens my own spirit and and that I receive greater wisdom and insight and understanding and compassion for other people um, through praying. And I encourage other people to pray for others. And I, I try through um, the blogs that I have the good fortune of writing for the Tallahassee Democrat to encourage kindness and love and inclusion and to find ways to um, be non-judgmental um, and understanding regarding people, and I think that 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 helps me helps me keep my faith because I believe there is more goodness and more benefit from goodness um, in the world than there is trouble and evil and the things that would overcome us if we allowed that to happen. So we have to just keep reminding ourselves of the goodness in the world, that it is a beautiful world. When you're, when you're looking for solace, what, what are the things you do? I mean, prayer obviously is very important. Are there other things you do that help you maintain a positive feeling or feel renewed? Um, I love to walk. And at first I started walking um, every day for health reasons. I have osteoporosis, so I thought um, they told me that that was a good way to to build your bone strength. And so I walked every day for that reason, but quickly learned there were so many other benefits to it. And I especially like to walk in the woods and feel that um, I am renewed by nature and, and being in the beauty of the world. I enjoy friendships and feel like that they are very helpful in being authentic in relationship, you know, with other people, um, sharing not only 
joys but hurts and pains um, helps us to um, find strength for our own journey as people share the ways that they are being helped. So I think my faith grows as I'm able to be with other people authentically. Um, The church that I pastor several years ago, we each told our story, and it began with kind of a chronological storyteller who told about you know, the various accomplishments in life and the number of children and that kind of thing. And then the second story, I asked for a volunteer and there was nobody that was volunteering. So I said, well, this might be the shortest series in our church, but I'll volunteer. And when I told my story more authentically and with vulnerability, it shifted everything that for the rest of the stories, which lasted for months, people telling their story, um, they they told the truth about their lives and the ways that they had been hurt and how they were recovering or how they were um, holding on by a thread at times and, and how they had found great joy and strength at other times. And it being more truthful and honest created um, an atmosphere that changed our church. We I think are more deeply caring about each other. And that is why, you know, we're able to pray for each other even better because we know each other better. So we're we're in a, you know, an intensely crazy time, end of the year, that has significance in so many ways and different ways for people. How do we in this time remind ourselves Some of the things you mentioned earlier, kindness, caring, how do we slow down, even though it's a crazy time of year, to reflect a little bit? What what advice would you give on that front? You know, I think a daily discipline, even if it's only during this particular season of the year that is um, of import to Christians, but certainly to other faith traditions, to... Um, be intentional about reflecting, whether it's um, reflecting on what you're grateful for or whether it is um, counting your blessings for the the year, reflecting on the year you've just been through and um, how you've overcome hardships or how you've experienced great joy. Um, I, I think there are plenty of books out there. My church is doing a book called Honest Advent that has 25 readings and 25 images, and the idea is to let the images excavate you before you do the few pages of reading. So there are you know, very interesting ways to do it. If, if you like poetry, maybe it's reading a poem a day. If you like music, listening to a particular song. But the discipline of saying, I'm going to pause and I'm going to give myself some time to catch up with my spirit and to be present to myself just for this particular time each day, even amidst all the busyness, might be a help. I love that. I think that that's, it's important to take a minute and take time mm-hmm. in our lives to reflect and to connect, whether it's a, be- I love the idea of, you know, something you read or a poem or a song that just reaches in mm-hmm. and, and, makes us feel human again mm-hmm. is, is important. Well, we, you've said a lot of wonderful things. Is there anything else you'd like to add 
for our listeners who may hear this as they're driving into work or coming home from work or feeling overwhelmed, anything else you'd like to leave them with? I think the whole idea of this program, Voices That Inspire, is significant that if we think back on what has brought us inspiration and how we want to inspire others, those questions are so profound that I think that it will help us all to appreciate our lives more and to be more careful about the ways that we impact the lives of others. Um, As I thought of the question of just, you know, what inspires me, I thought of the life of Frederick Beekner, who is a Presbyterian minister whom I love so much because of the way he writes to the common person in the common experience. And what he says is to listen to your life and to appreciate it both in the boredom and in the excitement because life is a gift. And I encourage us all to think of that and listen to our lives. It's beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. My name is Candace McKibben, and I am a minister in our community and grateful for the role of being a minister in our community and wish all of you inspiration and joy. Wonderful. Thank you.